Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event. You can have them delivered to your phone, and you can enter the event. Isn't technology amazing? Drop your old ticket app and use one that's built for 2016. Again, do everything on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by our old buddy, Stamps.com. Stop relying on the post office. Just buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com right now. Use the promo code BS for a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BS. And speaking of going places, go to HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO On Demand to watch the first four episodes of any given Wednesday. You can also check out over two hours of bonus clips. We did speed rounds with Charles Barkley, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we had some bonus stuff with Ben Affleck. We had some bonus stuff with Gladwell and Cuban. Some, and a lot of bonus stuff with Aaron Rodgers, like an extra 20 minutes, actually. So go check that out. And don't forget about TheRinger.com. I think we're on, on the best role we've been on. Really good stuff. I'm very proud of my, 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 my peeps at The Ringer. Uh, don't forget about The Ringer Podcast Network. And don't forget, we finally have Ringer swag. Oh, yeah. T-shirts, baseball shirts, hoodies. And a good chunk of the proceeds goes to our friends at Charity Water. And we'll have lots of updates on that. We're going to build some wells with some of the proceeds from this merch. All right, we're going to call Wesley Morris in a little bit um, to talk about summer movies and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, we're going to call my dad first to talk about the end of Deflake and all this other stuff. And also, if you listen to the Ringer NBA show, Chris Ryan and I did a whole summer free agency thing that you can check out on there. But right now, my dad, Deflake Here we go. Yeah. Clear enough for you. All right. Tom Brady has given up Deflategate. Uh, our 18, 19 month uh, national nightmare is over. My dad is on the line. My dad, uh, Deflategate got so bad that my dad briefly quit on Tom Brady as a Patriot fan. He feels bad about it now, but he, he, you, you can say your last words now. Go ahead. I I vehemently deny that I ever quit on Tom Brady. You kind of did. I you, might there have was had one a moment day. Of weak, a moment of weakness. What does that mean? <laughs> what are you like, Bill Clinton in the Oval Office with Lewinsky? What do you mean a moment of weakness? A moment of weakness. Uh, I got caught up a little bit too much, but I tell you, I, I, I'm kind of surprised. I don't know about you, but the papers here, the, even this morning, talked about most likely uh, in the next week he'd be asking for a stay um, before. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Ginsburg, most level justice, and most likely the stay would be awarded. Yeah. And he might get to play through the whole season. So I think people are going to be a little surprised uh, if they haven't heard this news already. You know, on the other hand, maybe he was worried that those four, if the four game suspension came down later, it come, could come down at any time, either during the season or even. <laughs> During playoff games, and he'd rather he'd rather take the games now, particularly when three of the four games are at home. I think um, that are you surprised? Yeah, I think he was tired of fighting this, and and I think yeah. even last year, um, from the inside info that I have, he 
he really was almost ready to fold it in last year. He just didn't want to keep going through it, and it was taking a big toll from him. And I think it. I think he was worried that it was going to affect his football, and he just wanted to get it over with. But I think the union people in his life were like, "No, no, you didn't do this. Keep fighting, keep fighting." And at this point, if the fight had kept going, he would have gotten a stay. And eventually, like the last place this could have ended up was the Supreme Court. And when you think of all the stuff that's going on with this country right now, not a great look for Brady to to take this. I mean, the Supreme Court has to have more important things to deal with than this, you know. And maybe well, he was just I like, mean, you know what, this is I'm going to take the four games and get this over with. I mean, that's a, obviously a very valid point. Although, even though Brady has uh, dropped the fight, so to speak, and will serve the four games. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be shocked if the uh, Players Association doesn't move forward asking for a stay and asking for a hearing before the court, because for them it's a contractual issue, obviously. You know, it's, it's the the right of the arbitrator to do what he did, in this case, right. Goodell. And I'm just not going to be shocked if, despite Brady uh dropping everything and uh, serving the four-game suspension. The union doesn't move forward to see if they can get relief uh, ultimately with the contract issue. Well, we've been talking about the Flakegate ever since my podcast came back last October. And I think the biggest thing that people don't seem to understand, some people understand it, who've actually followed the story, but most people don't, is that this story stopped being about Tom Brady at some point there in this whole circus. And it, and it really became about Goodell's um, ability to protect his power to do whatever he wanted. Because in one of the CBAs, I can't remember which one, they basically allowed him to become the sheriff of the NFL. And his word was the law. And he decided player punishments. And if there was an appeal process, he could make himself the judge of the appeal. And well, the union only has itself to blame. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's they, they the, this was away, a CBA fault. They gave fault. away the ship. Yeah, they gave they gave away all of their rights in the arbitration and appeal process when they allowed that language to be inserted into the CBA that gave Goodell that much power. So, you well, know, but hold on a second, though. You, the but you know how this works because you're a superintendent forever. Like they're making a business deal with somebody. They're giving right. up certain things to get other things. And I think they were so, they're concentrating on, say, PDs or other, they're trying to get stuff from Goodell. And in return, they're like, all right, we'll give you this. And it, what it led to was was this entire Deflategate saga where all of the science that we have disproved any sort of case that the league had against those balls being deflated. And then it just kind of became about Goodell saying, well, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. I already decided on this. And that's what this was yeah, about. I, I understand all that. And, and you're right that when you're in negotiations, there's a give and a take. And you want certain things, so you have to give certain things. But in retrospect, I think the union and the uh, legal counsel representing the union just really missed the boat on yeah. identifying the ramifications of giving away what they did. And I don't know what they got back in return. I mean, you'll never, you'll never know there's such give and take. But, I mean, they gave away so much with uh, allowing Goodell to have that much power. And 
the way negotiations work, they're going to have a, an extremely difficult time the next time they sit at the table trying to get Goodell and the owners to backtrack. Well, and I mean, you saw already it. Given a, we, I was going to say you saw it with the Ray Rice thing too, right? He decided on Ray Rice. He gave him a two-game suspension. The video comes out. Goodell resuspends him for the same offense, saying that Ray Rice didn't tell me what happened. And then it comes out that when they had the hearing in July, Ray Rice told him exactly what happened. So he had the information and he just unilaterally said, I'm going to suspend this guy a second time for the same thing. And the union couldn't do anything about that either. So, and and you know, as the second circuit has said, none of that matters. Right. The the facts of the case really are apparently irrelevant based on the CBA language that gives Goodell so much power so much authority, and he is he is the uh, ju- the jury, the judge, and the executioner. Literally. And I, I can't imagine another contract in, with another professional sports league that has anything like that kind of language. So it is, it's so unique that Goodell has that authority. All right, so with all of this said, I'm going to say two things. One, I'm always going to be disappointed at Bob Kraft that he rolled over last spring. Because I agree with you. I agree he with gave that away one. our first round pick and he made it seem like Brady was guilty um, and obviously trusted Goodell. And they made some, I, I guess what Kraft must have thought was some sort of a handshake deal that, all right, we'll accept this penalty. Just don't throw Tom under the bus. And then Goodell proceeded to, to make that deal and then still throw Tom under the bus. So that was one thing. I think the Kraft's rolled over. I think Kraft feels bad about it. He said as much, but I. Um, I wish he had stuck up for his quarterback in the moment. Uh, second, I was disappointed with Brady today. You know, he had all these Patriot fans and all these people defending him uh, over and over again, really passionately, and getting getting in fights with fans from other teams, like not real fights, but, you know, and pleading his case and all this stuff. And then I feel like today he just rolled over and accepted it. Like if you're going to accept a suspension – come out really strong and say, just, I just want everyone to know I didn't do this. I think it is insane that Goodell decided to do this 18 month smear campaign, come out with some strong anti Goodell language. Make me feel like this affected you in some way. Don't just roll over. I felt like he rolled over today. Well, as I listened to you, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, his, his statement was a, a tweet uh, to come out on Twitter on such an issue that has Facebook also has galvanized the New England area, it is pretty weak. Uh, I wish he had come out with a strong statement, as you delineated, but maybe he's just tired of the whole thing. Um, I'm sure maybe, he is, but maybe acknowledge all the people that fought for you. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe that, I don't maybe that care, will be but... forthcoming. I mean, maybe we'll get that in the next couple of days. Uh, they had to make a decision by next Wednesday in terms of moving forward with any kind of uh, request for a stay because it would have started with the Second Circuit first. Um, so maybe this is just the first statement, the first information coming forth from the Brady camp. But I agree. I, I wish he'd come out so strongly. He has no reason at this point not to criticize Goodell very strongly. All he has to do is come out. Yeah, come out and say, look, 
all I've done is busted my ass for for the NFL and for the Patriots for my entire career. I've never been in trouble. I've always carried myself the right way. I've already I've always carried myself in public and in private. I've tried to be a role model. I have no idea why they went after me like this. I will never for the rest of my life figure it out. And if they think that as I'm trying to prepare for the AFC championship game, that I had time to try to figure out if the balls were 1.5% less deflated than they should have been, then these people are insane. They just come out and say that. The only the only thing I can think of that would make him not want to say that is if he has a defamation lawsuit coming, which cannot be ruled out. If he it, like no, if they have a not. if they have a plan for a stage B here, I had him accept a suspension, and now I'm going to do a defamation lawsuit against the league. Then maybe that explains why he was so passive today. But I don't know. I I I, I just there's a small part of me that, that yeah. well I was gonna say there's a small part of me that makes me wonder the fact that he didn't do that makes me wonder if maybe he's 20% guilty of some of some of this stuff. I don't know. Nah, I don't want to... I, I made that mistake once before. I don't, I don't want to go there. I, I really don't think one has anything to do with the other. Kate's I, laughing. I think he just got a message out today, and I'm very hopeful that this is not the only message he's going to get out there. I, you know, I have an idea. Uh, I know he's been very unwilling with the court action ongoing to have interviews about the Flakegate. Yeah. I think it's time to follow up Ben Affleck and come on any given Wednesday and talk about it. I'm ready. The invitation think? is wide open. Any given Wednesday. Tom Brady, if he wants to come on and plead his case, I've been fighting for him for 18 months. Come on, let's talk about it. I, I think it makes sense. You've been one of his biggest advocates. I don't want to see you backtracking a, a single second because you've already criticized me for backtracking in a week, in a moment of weakness. Um, <laughs> I stand behind Tom Brady. I'd like to, I just want to say that uh, I feel like I would have stuck up for any quarterback who was in this situation. I, I just think Adele has been ridiculous for 10 solid years. And it's been, you know, it, it wasn't just Deflate Gate. It was Ray Rice and it was Bounty Gate and it was all the stuff they pulled with concussions. And I, I just think this guy's full of it. And, and he seems like he thinks he can do whatever he wants. Um, well, but apparently he can. Apparently I mean, he can. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Maybe that we got to look at the players in a little bit quickly before you go. Um, the Red Sox traded their best pitching prospect for Drew Pomeranz from the Padres, who is one of the two pitchers we need uh, to win the World Series if this team has any chance. Red Sox fans not happy because that this was the best pitching prospect we've had in a while. On the other hand, you and I have watched people like Casey Kelly, uh, Henry Owens. Manny Del Carmen, Kevin Morton. It's been, I mean, how many pitching prospects have been can't miss for the Red Sox that have missed? You know, that, that's true. None of them, though, had Pedro Martinez saying uh, Espinosa is going to be the next superstar pitcher on the Red Sox. And so you don't like this trade? I don't like this trade. I, I remember where I was, Nantucket Island. The day that I, re I heard on the radio they had traded uh, Bagwell for Larry Anderson. Oh, this, and, uh, come on. I, I shook my head and I said, you, you don't make these kinds of trades. And But you and I talked as soon as they hired Dombrowski with his record in Detroit for trading prospects for veterans or 
pitchers that had experience or hitters that had a few years in the league. We expected that he'd be trading out of the farm system. I just wish he hadn't traded their number three prospect. Can I make um, can I make a counter? Uh, sure, you always do. Larry Anderson, we rented him for like two and a half months, and then he left. And you and I had watched Bagwell in New Britain, killing it. We were waiting for him to come up, and they just misfired. They didn't realize how good he was. And remember the remember the I think it was New Britain. The manager after they traded him was like, "I wish Lou Gorman had called me. I would have yeah, told him not that. to trade Jeff Bagwell. He's amazing." Uh, so that right. was one thing. Second, Pomeranz, we we have him under contract for the next few years. He's only twenty seven, and you know, four or five years ago, he was one of the better pitching prospects in the entire league. So I know we have him under contract for two years after this year. That's a good thing. I wish he hadn't had arms uh, shoulder surgery last last October. And if you look at his record, which I did today, because uh, they obviously had his whole uh, career in the paper today. Yeah. Um, there's nothing spectacular there. Uh, a lot of strikeouts. You know, uh, Made the all-star he's team. Already pitched, he's already pitched more innings in the majors than he ever has in his career. And he's never pitched. You know, it's one thing to pitch in Oakland and San Diego where nobody shows up. Yeah. You know what Boston is like. I know. That's my one the, fear. The, I mean, these yeah. are we are crazy fans here. We We expect. I mean, look at even what David Price is going through. Yeah. He has a bad outing, and it, uh, people write him off. So this guy is, is pitching next Wednesday at home, his first start for the Red Sox. I know. Against the San Fran Giants. Uh, it would be wonderful if he had a good outing because first impressions will be lasting impressions with the Red Sox fan base, including your father. <laughs> the good news is that... Uh... Boston fans won't completely flip out if he sucks in that first start and say in right to trade off. I will. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of pressure. That was the one thing I worried about because I like the stats were good. Like all the advanced metrics backed it up, except he does throw a lot of pitches. Um, but the Plus, one I thing have to take, I have to take Espinosa's uh, um, picture that I framed and put up in your bedroom upstairs off the wall now. He's <laughs> been, not going to be a Red Sox. I haven't been in that bedroom ever. I've been an adult <laughs> for 25 years. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm I, a little concerned about about the Pomerantz part, but I fully support trading pitching prospects. I think with the, with the number of arm injuries, um, with the amount of guys that we see who either they don't make it or the people that do make it sometimes are late bloomers. If it was a hitting prize, like if they had traded Moncada or, um, or Devers or who's the, Oh, a Ben and Ben Tendi. What's his name? Ben Tendi. Ben Tendi. Yeah. yeah. The first that yeah. I wouldn't have touched those guys because I think hitting you know, prospects the, are sure things. The, the, uh, of course the paper talks about, uh, one of the big headlines today was their other rookie, their other minor league pitcher, Coach Kovic, who yeah. hit 105 on the radar gun this week. Oh my God! And then this morning they signed their number one draft pick, Rooms. Yeah. Who I guess is a stud. And I mean, maybe in their minds, they're going to have two A plus future starters coming up through the pipeline. Yeah. But uh, it's it's just a risky trade and. I like it. Yeah. I, it. Last thing, and then we have to go because we got to call Wesley. Um, this team's offense is great. 
I think they have a chance to make the World Series. We need two more starters. So we got one. Now we right. got to get another one. But I think this team could make the World Series. They score five runs yeah, a game. I, I mean, I, I understand that way of looking at it. And I also obviously understand that we're not going to have Ortiz next year. We're having guys, hitters are having career type years. Yeah. Uh, it is a year to go for it. I just wish they could have gotten this pitcher by not giving up one of their top three prospects. That's all. All right. And you're excited about Al Horford? I'm really excited about Al, Al Horford. And You've always liked him. <laughs> I've always liked him. I think, uh, you know, he's the, I know he's the type of player you love because he's, he's such an. He make, has such an impact on the rest of the team. He, he's a good guy, you, you good character much, guy. You get much more than the guy who's playing on the court. Well, he's taking um, Jared Sullinger's minutes, so I feel pretty good about that. He made the All Star team last year, uh, and way, also I think Jalen Brown's gonna Jalen Brown's gonna send you into the hospital with your first heart attack. Is my other prediction. Will he ever finish? Nah. I mean, you, you and I hate guys that go to the rim. It looks great. They get all the way in there. Yeah. And the ball bounces off the rim. It looks great. I, I warned <laughs> you that when you asked me, like, who is this guy? Is he going to be good? I was like, he's going to. He, it's like the best version ever of Jeff Green. The same kind of th- those Jeff Green moves. Oh, the, oh. oh. I, I, he, he looks like he has heart, whereas Jeff Green never had heart. So. The games may be a little bit similar, but at least it looks like he tries 120%. Yeah, Jeff Green would try once a week. One final point to make. All kinds of rumors up here in Boston about Blake Griffith coming here. No, it's it's all fake. Don't believe any of that stuff. Yeah, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Uh, You'll be the first to know if that changes. All right. Thanks, Dad. Enjoy the weekend. All right. Talk to you, son. See you. Take care. Bye. Let's talk about the perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. Let's talk about an award-winning sleep surface developed in-house with a sleek design delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that size box. Let's talk about Casper mattresses. They combine springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. $500 for a twin-size mattress, $950 for a king-size mattress. That is an outstanding price point. Even better, they have a risk-free trial and return policy. They'll deliver it straight to you. You can try it for 100 days. If you're not happy, they'll pick it back up. Find out why Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. You can also find out why people who stay at my house really enjoy being in the guest room. Uh, get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com BS and using code BS. Terms and conditions apply at casper.com. BS. And now on the line, one of my uh, old Grantland comrades now at the New York Times, um, but still lives on in my heart. Wesley Morris, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. I still live on in your heart. That's great. Feels weird. We built this whole website, this whole whole culture, all these people here, and, and I, I keep waiting for you to just show up and you just, you know, I don't know. It's like the end of, it's like the end of a, of a sad movie. We're just kind of, you just kind of have your picture up on the wall. Just kind of look at it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm around. I'm I know. Around. You're still alive. It's not like you died. And reading the site, it's not like. Yeah, I know. You I know. know. Tell I me feel, about it. You know, um, it's funny, though. I do feel the same way. I know. Yeah. There's been a couple couple people out there that it's just, uh, 
feels weird not to have them involved. But who knows? Maybe time will change everything. Uh, summer it movies. Will. But, you know, I will say, can I just say conversely? Yeah. I have a picture of Larry Bird uh, that we're going to put up in my in my recording studio. That we're, I'm working on a podcast that does not exist yet. But I really appreciate uh, that. Thank you. Somebody Thank you. just today bought a Larry Bird picture for me in memory of you. And Thank I'm putting you. it in my in the little studio. That's really nice. Summer movies. Um, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs sideways so far? Man, I don't know what's going on. I mean, between what is happening on the planet and what is happening in the movie theaters, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's this thing going on where the studios have decided that the best way to sort of compensate for things in general is to kind of apologize for who's been omitted from the movies during this time of year by making movies about how apologetic they are about this. Give me an example. It's, the Tarzan movie. Did you, did you see this? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, first of all, the only way to be sorry about Tarzan existing in the first place is to not make another Tarzan movie. Yeah. That's Seems the only fair. solution. Seems like a good idea. But they have basically taken history and twisted it all around to make Samuel L. Jackson's character, who really was this like important kind of like figure in 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 history, black figure in history, um, and make him basically Tarzan's sidekick. Except you know he's played by Samuel L. Jackson, so he's kind of strange anyway. The whole yeah. thing is just weird. Um, you have this, uh, this Matthew McConaughey movie, Ugh. um, Free State of Jones. Have yeah. you seen this? No. I don't even know if I'd pay-per-view <laughs> that one. And I'll pay-per-view I mean, anything. Like, I'll literally pay-per-view anything. I won't, I don't know if that's on the list. That movie is so, there's no, like, I actually prefer a movie to just be flat-out racist. Just be racist. Don't be sorry for <laughs> racism. Just, like, tell me you hate me. Don't like tell me you like me and don't don't then don't give any black people anything important or interesting to do. Yeah. Except the stuff that they've always done in the movies. Like, just don't do that to me. Just be just be DW Griffith. Just be don't apologize for this stuff. I don't know. Just make another central intelligence, which is a movie I actually kind of really enjoyed. So have you written about blackish? I can't remember. Um, I mean, I have in, in the context of other stories. But yeah. not an actual, yeah, yeah. Um, I've not written it. I mean, I feel like there are just other people who write about TV all the time who have written really smart things about Blackish. And the things that I have to say about it aren't so radically, I don't have right. any sort of radical you don't have a ideas new about that show. All right, no. I, I, don't, I don't have a radical idea, but I have maybe a semi-interesting idea. Mm-hmm. So my kids love Blackish. It's it was it's on like Hulu or one of those, and they watched all of them. And Blackish is kind of it's where what Good Times was in the seventies, and then there was an evolution to Cosby, and I don't I can't even really explain what happened in the nineties and zero zeros. But now you have Blackish, and mm-hmm. it's it's a traditional sitcom, but it's really not. It's a family sitcom, but it's really not, and it deals with black issues and some of the stuff you're talking about as well as anything I've ever seen. Um, 
a couple, the shootings episode is really one of the best half hours I've seen on TV in the decade. Um, but what's oh, yeah. interesting about it is my kids who know nothing, who have a pretty sheltered life, they watch all the blackishes, they watch the shooting episode, and then they come to us and they're asking questions about it. And not, <laughs> not questions like stupid questions, but like genuinely like it got their brains going. And Well, these are your children, Bill. I mean, they're not going to ask you stupid questions. No, I know. But I just thought, I, I think it's an important show. And to bring it back mm-hmm. to what you were talking about with movies, um, and this is a conversation we've had before, which is when movies try to make people think in that in that direction, it's always, you know, it's like, like what we talked about in October about if they made Creed and if Creed was going to get nominated for an Oscar, it would have had to have been set in the 1860s. And, Creed, <laughs> and Creed's a boxer trying to box his way out of some cotton farm in Virginia. And then the Oscars would be like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, 1860s, yeah, done. Michael B. Jordan nominated. Um, yeah. Movies can't seem to figure this out. No, and I think one of the problems is that there aren't enough black people involved with the making of the movies. Right, and so which we've discussed. Something like, right, something like Free State of Jones is completely the product of Gary Ross, who you know, really wanted to make a movie. It's just that movie is so defensive on its on its face. And I don't even want to get, I mean, the, the thing that I really wanted to start to talk to you about actually was the degree to which the movies this summer are, are sort of so political in their mere existence. Yeah. That you're not really going to the movies. You're going to the polling station. Like this Ghostbusters thing, for instance. I mean, I'll get back to Blackish in a second because I actually do think that show is doing something really interesting that is that is possible only because uh, those Norman Lear shows existed and the Cosby Show in a Different World yeah. existed and Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like the the and, and Martin. All of those shows had to exist for Blackish to be able to be as self-conscious and self-aware as it is. Well, hold but on, but, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you one second. Blackish knows this because the last episode was basically a Good Times tribute. Yes, exactly. The last episode right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And it also identified the thing that was most annoying about Good Times at a certain point, which was that it it went from being it, – it, it was trying to figure out – and I can say this because I am now – I have now watched all of Good Times for this book that won't die. Yeah. Um, it Good Times sort of ran into a problem in that J.J. became really popular – and they had to figure out a way for J.J. to have more stuff to do. Yeah. And so Jimmy Walker kind of became the star of the show, even though, you know, Esther Roll and John Amos were the actors. They, those two were like, they were serious actors. Yeah. Um, Great actors. And the show got hijacked by this jive talking, you know. Who, who the audience applauded every time he did anything. Right. That's why John was Amos like, was like, kill me off. Just call Florida and say I've died in a car accident. Right, exactly. And I think that was during an era when, when, you know, the wacky neighbor, smart mouth son, that's yep. when a character could steal a show and become like a Kramer or a Fonzie or something like that. I mean, Jimmy Walker is one of those, I mean, J.J. is one of those characters, one of those five, like, stole the show characters. No, and Malona was, was probably in the top 27. Yeah. I love yeah. the Malona well, cameos. One. Right. But, I mean, 
to go back to the to the summer movie situation, I just feel like more than ever, we've gone from sort of discussing what's wrong with the politics in the movies themselves to the politics around the movies before we've even seen what the movie is. Yeah. And I don't like that. And it's also very different from how, say, when we were kids, the, the thing, you know, the outrage over something like Basic Instinct with, you know, gay and lesbian groups being upset that these that the, that the killers in the movie were, you know, lesbians when lesbians aren't killers. Yeah. <laughs> generally, they're not the people you're like rounding up on murder day. Like the idea that, Murder that, Day. That is that was, a movie? That was a. <laughs> is that the, I guess that's the purge. <laughs> it's the purge, right, right, right. I mean, there's a. I mean, okay, we, let's get to the purge this second because that's another series that I really like, but it's like turned a corner into Obviousville. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like now with this Ghostbusters movie, especially with the Ghostbusters movie, um, so much about so much of what in, of what seeing it entails is basically like voting for Hillary. Like, you have to vote for Hillary if you believe in humankind. And you don't want these Neanderthal internet assholes to win in mm. terms of saying that a movie like this shouldn't exist. And I actually don't think a movie like this should exist, but I don't think it should exist. It shouldn't exist because four amazingly funny women are in it. I think it shouldn't exist because the movie already exists with four men, and it was fine. It's not the gender thing that's the problem for me. It's just like you can't find, four, you can't find a movie for those four women to do somewhere else. It's, it's a great point. It's the recycling that drives me crazy. I and it's the lack of ideas. And can we just go back to good times for one second? <laughs> yes, by all means. As you know, one of my favorite shows of all time, and I'm always willing to talk about it. But it's been on a lot lately for some reason, and I think it's on the the old TV Guide channel, which is now TV One. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get my kids into it. Je- not hard with Wait, JJ. Wait, TV One is the old TV Guide channel? I think it is, yeah. So, I, that always seemed like super black to me. Anyway, go on. Um, the uh, JJ obviously resonates with the kids. There's, there's, mm-hmm. It's just funny. Like, there's no question. But, you know, the old joke about how every Good Times episode was about James thinking he was about to get a job and and starting to spend... And then the job fell through and then it would end with him in Florida in bed being like, well, it's fine. We still have each other. And then the audience would applaud. That was like 40% of the good times episodes. It's unbelievable. (laughs) And I know you just watched all of them for your book, but it's, it's so bleak and yet inspiring at the same time, because really that show is about like, we're probably screwed. But we're, our family is very close and we love each other. And that was the theme of almost every single Good Times episode. And it's a really good theme. Mm-hmm. And it's genuine. But yet, yeah, it, was, I, it was also formulaic. And I don't know how I feel about it, watching it in my mid-40s. Um, well, I mean, you're just, you know what the formulas are. But if you were watching that as like a, I mean, I saw it in reruns initially. And I remember thinking... I mean, for one thing, the idea of not being able to pay your bills, the idea of not having a job, the idea of losing your job, not having, like, gas to cook. I mean, those were all, like, that right. was that was a part of my childhood, like, the fear that we wouldn't be able to eat the way we wanted to eat some nights because, you know, there was just not enough money and the bills didn't get paid. I mean, that's like a real 
and, and the show didn't exploit that the way the way another show might have. And it didn't the comedy was never in the poverty. The comedy was in the situations that created the poverty. Right. I mean, okay, was, good, because I felt guilty about how much I loved Good Times as a kid watching how they would kind of turned the family into a formula. But at the same time, as I said, like, I really do feel like it was a genuine show. And I but don't feel like it exploited the, the characters. Was, right? Yeah. I mean, the formula was really about how to keep going and how to stay alive. And the argument the, the show made most weeks was, well, if we, if we can stay together we can probably figure this out. And in the history of, of this country, having a black family be able to do that, given what this country had done to black families, yeah. is a powerful thing. I think, uh, I think it's a really important show, and it still is. And if you watch the reruns, it's a show that doesn't really exist now. Blackish is kind of the middle class, I would say even they're a tad higher than middle class. Um, oh no, those people are. I mean, I would say they're they're affluent. Well, yeah, but definitely compared to the Evans family, um, it's a little. It's well, one compared of the things to I, a lot of people on TV. One of the things I like about Blackish is it's also kind of secretly an LA show. There's some LA wrinkles oh, to yeah. it that I, I don't think you would get if you lived in, say, Kansas City. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but with with the Evans family. It's the same thing that I think The Wire resonated with so many people. Everybody was talking about, oh, The Wire, David Simon. He, he was these five seasons. He laid out the blueprint of how how drugs and the police and all this stuff has ruined has ruined the inner cities. And yeah, that was the biggest part of the show. But it was also about all these characters who were persevering with all these obstacles against him. It wasn't much different than the Evans family. You know, like somebody like Bubbles mm-hmm. who had a drug problem. That whole show was about him trying to persevere. The four kids in season four, all trying to get through, trying to make it. And that's what we're not seeing with movies now. And I think that's why The Wire was so important because it reflected something that that I don't feel like films have really reflected. Fruitvale, I think even for 90 minutes was, you know, tapped into that. Right. It doesn't happen well, enough. Well, I mean... It doesn't happen enough. I think something like Blackish, though, is also trying to correct for the problem of the idea. I mean, there's a really interesting tension among I, – I mean, maybe I'm creating the tension part, but there, there's obviously a, a class discrepancy among depictions of black life in this country. And the, the, the question isn't about – the question isn't really a matter of what is more authentic – as much as how much of one representation do you get versus another representation? Yeah. And what is the story that black people want to tell about themselves as opposed to a white producer like Norman Lear or, or David Simon, right? Like, if black people had the chance to tell their own stories, what would they say about themselves? This has always interested me, and it's like a strange question to be able to, to like have to ask because it is, it is so infrequently answered. Um, well, hold on and, though. So, does that mean that he might not be the best director we have right now? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he's a very, 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 very good director, but in a lot of ways, Ryan Coogler might be the most important director right now because um, I don't know who else could get that movie made easily other than him, who's a black director. Can you, you think mean of anyone? Creed? No, at the movie that oh, the both movie of I'm us want to see, 
Oh, who, who else has I mean, the juice to go in and get that and get the money and get the stars and get all that stuff? Who else has the juice to do it? Who's a black director? Okay, so here's some things that are. I mean, I think Ava DuVernay is somebody who is obviously positioned to. Okay, there's two. Be able to tell a kind of story that she wants to tell. I guess I don't know what she would say her limitations are in terms of her what her financing would be. But I mean, I definitely think she's somebody at this point who could get a, a certain class of movie made on her own terms yeah. Um, without the struggling that she used to have to go through to get a movie made. She might correct me and say that I'm still struggling. Um, I think that, you know, D. Rees is, I mean, there's a handful of filmmakers who are, I would say, in the same sort of age peer group who have stories to tell, want to tell them, and are, are finding ways to be able to, to tell them. I saw a movie three weeks ago, the one of the best movies I've seen this year, not going to see a, I, I won't, I won't see very many movies that I like as much probably, um, called Moonlight. And it's by a guy named Barry Jenkins who made a movie that six people saw, uh, many years ago called Medicine for Melancholy, which is Wyatt Cenac walking around San Francisco on a date with a woman. It's, you know, it's a, it's a slight movie with a big idea, uh, I'm in on good. Wyatt, by the way. I think he, I think he's going to have a good run here coming up. But God, uh, I hope so. I love Wyatt. He's yeah. a wonderful human being and really, really smart. And uh, I want him to do everything. Um, I think this movie Moonlight is incredible. It is. It is. Ver- to, I won't ruin it for all the people who are going to see this movie because they should. It comes out in October. Uh, it's just the story of this kid who lives in Miami in the eighties at some point, And he thinks he might be gay. And his mother is a functioning drug addict. And his, his, there's a drug dealer who's his father figure. And there isn't a huge story, but three things happen and they're amazing things. And the filmmaking is just astonishingly beautiful and inspired. And it's about this kid figuring himself out, but not in the obvious ways that a normal movie like this would. Hmm. It's, a, it's like a coming-of-age story in which, like, the shades go down on a character and, like, he is struggling to pull them back up. It is, it is just a really incredible portrait of one person. And you watch him go from being a little kid to being a teenager being a grown man and the third part of that movie is it just takes this turn into just i don't know it's just it's erotic it is beautiful it is moving it it is it is everything that i've been hoping would just come out once a week then mm. you know this is the first time i've ever seen a movie like this and i'm i've been watching movies for like you know almost you know 40 years so, so this is your favorite movie of the year so far. The OJ movie is my favorite movie of the year. The the Ezra Edelman documentary is my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, mm. Moonlight is is up there. I think this movie called Cresha, um, that nobody's did you see Cresha? No. You should see that like as soon as we get off the phone. You're gonna love this movie. It's the story of a woman who goes home for Thanksgiving and just you know crazy things happen. Um, it's like oh, Stanley I, I, Kubrick. Listen, you know, you know me at this point. I love either holidays or weddings when families get back together and horrible things happen. I love. Yes. I saw my wife and I watched a movie. Uh, it was an English movie 
where two couples were having a baby and one of the babies died before the childbirth and the other couple decided to figure the other couple basically got jealous of the, of the couple who actually had their baby. And that is one of my favorite plots. One of my wife's favorite plots when somebody is jealous of somebody else's baby and it becomes Ooh. that it always works. When does it not work? Because what, what movie is this? Oh man. It's something below. Is it? Tate, will you look it up for me? It's on Netflix. Huh. It's uh, it's okay. something below. And the only actor I know from it is the guy. He played the guy with the eye patch in the walking dead. But it's that hand the ro- hand that rocks the cradle plot, though. Oh, basically, yeah. those are we both love me. blank from hell movies. If, I if love blank from hell, get- and I love I'm jealous of your baby, and I think I'm just gonna take it, but I'm gonna do it over the course of an hour and a half. The best, oh, and the mom God. thinks the mom thinks she's going crazy, and you know, like it, the best part in hand that rocks the cradle is when she ta- she she uh, squirts out all of her uh, asthma inhaler. Yes, and she well, can't. Those are just real. That's like that's that's like real terrorism, dude. Yeah, it's like it's like it's, personal it's, individual terrorism. Yeah, it, that is that's that's horrifying. Did you I mean, find the name? I yet? mean, it's no, it's below zero. Below, I don't know the name. It's on there. It's on. It's on Netflix somewhere. Wait, I have two questions for two really important questions for you. Uh, mm-hmm. Based on what we were just talking about, there's a movie. You see the poster, you know nothing about it, and the title of the movie is Ferguson. What's your reaction? Hmm. <laughs> like, are, is your first reaction, oh no, I hope I hope this wasn't done by, I don't know, some fill in the name of a white director? I, I, I would hope, I would assume that it would be like a D. Rees or Ava DuVernay making that movie. Um, that would be your hope or, would be. Or, or that would be your default hope or would you be like, would it, your reaction be, oh no? Well, my first reaction is always, oh no, with those things. It doesn't matter who okay. winds up directing it. Um, but if I also think that just, I don't know, this is so tricky, right? Like I think, I think a black director making that movie so soon probably has something to say about that movie. Yeah. Uh, or something to say with that movie, to, and to something to say about that situation. I I just can't imagine that making that movie for someone else is that much of a priority, and I am immediately suspicious. And history creates my suspicion, right? Um, history tells me to be suspicious when I see something like that so immediately ready for mass consumption that way, and then called something like Ferguson. Um, that's kind of how I feel about the Boston uh, Marathon bombing movie, and that's how, also right, how I well, felt I, about the Nick Cage nine eleven movie. It feels like we need the seven year moratorium before we're ready to make movies about stuff that. Yeah, statute of limitations on yeah. subject matter is a really interesting idea. Like I feel that way about the Snowden movie that is also by Oliver Stone, who made the nine eleven movie you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think that his he's got the Snowden movie coming up. I. I don't. I don't know. I think things like that are always problematic to me. I mean, the Snowden movie, the Snowden movie, is obviously Citizen Four, and I. I don't know how you top that. That Laura Poitras movie. I don't know how you do it. Um, you know, Oliver Stone hasn't been himself in a long time. I would say he hasn't really been himself since since uh, the Jennifer Lopez. Uh, what was that movie called? 
the Jennifer Lopez Sean Penn movie that's got a U turn. You know, he, that one. he hasn't been right since then. And the idea that he's taking on, I think topicality is always a, like a like a death sentence for movies. I felt this way about the Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, um, I did not like the Steve sort of Jobs attempt, movie. I don't like it at all, and I feel like the attempt to sort of psychoanalyze these people, it really doesn't work. And the only person who's really good at it is Peter Morgan. I think he's really good, but he's not really doing psychoanalysis. He is creating drama out of predetermined situations, right? Yeah. He's looking at, 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 a, at a moment in time and, figure, and speculating about what the conversations were among the people in that, in that moment, whether it's Queen Elizabeth or George Bush. Um, he's good at that. Um, and I, as you know, my least favorite type of movie is like what we would call a biopic or something that tries to like take a real event and then dramatize it. I, I would just rather see a like documentary. That. I'm with you. Uh, second question. Um, second yeah. question. Could Lupita Nyong'o have starred in the shadow in the shallows? <laughs> and if so, does it does does the movie do well in the first week and does it happen and all that stuff? Um, let's, let's think about what we're really talking about. Yeah, here, let's right? talk about we're it. Talking about, yeah. We're, we're talking about, we're talking about two different things. Okay. The first thing we're talking about is getting Lupita Nyong'o to star in a movie basically where she'd basically be by herself. It's her, two, like, you know, a couple surfers, uh, an animatronic bird, no, no shots at the, if, to, to the bird if it's actually a real bird, but it seems fake to me. And and a and a and a shark. The second hurdle you've got is how do you explain that this this the shallows actually explains Blake Lively's relationship to the water at least, or why she's gone to this to this remote beach in Mexico. Yeah. Um, you'd have to come up with a backstory to explain why Lapita Nyong'o is a surfer. Um, I mean, I'm open to buying it, <laughs> but you you need to tell me why that's happening. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, and, and as you know, like, I don't have an objection with the existence of the shallows because Blake Lively is in it and Blake Lively is like, you know, white or anything. You wrote a great piece I, about it. I wrote, I, my problem with that movie is that it doesn't have a, like, Kate Hudson in it because that's who I thought I was going to go see. Yeah. Um, but I just, I feel like the real question is. Where is Lupita Nyong'o Shallows, right? It's not that I don't want Blake Lively to have that movie, although that's a, I mean, <laughs> that's a different issue. Um, but I was fairly, I was convinced by that movie. I like you. Blake Lively. Yeah, you're not, you're more down on Blake Lively than I am. What is, you, can you, can you speak about this, please? Sure. She's, she's sexy. Yeah, I'm going to say it. No, it's I, I no, this is this has been the response from from many people who She's got a sexuality are, to her that I that uh I think works. As you is know, it one of my favorite anybody else's. Yeah, but as you know, one of my favorite tests is could you have starred in Basic Instinct? <laughs> Sharon Stone is 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 100 100 on the sexuality scale. She's mm -hmm. the most sexual actress we've had probably in the last 30 years. Just every role, even if you see her. I was watching that she's in. She plays Steven Seagal's wife in a movie. She's carrying a baby oh, yeah. the whole time, and she's still super sexy. So, yep. 
her sexiness that just exudes from her, no matter whatever part she played, was going to manifest itself at some point in, in a movie like Basic Instinct. Now, Blake Lively mm-hmm. doesn't have that, but there's something sexy about her. Now, in the town, not sexy because her Boston accent was so bad, it just overpowered the movie. Um, but I do think she's sexy. Um, and I think this is why yeah. everyone was so intrigued by Megan Fox for a while, and she couldn't figure it out ultimately, but there was a confidence about her that should have worked in movies and just didn't for whatever reason. What was the one she made? The, the Jennifer, Jennifer's, Jennifer's body. body. That was like her yeah. movie to kind of, that was her make or break. Am I a star or not movie? And it just, for whatever reason, didn't work. Uh, well, I think that movie just lacked, I mean, it just, it didn't have, I think the script, I think whatever it was that Diablo Cody was hoping that movie would be and do just didn't, I couldn't tell if that was a script she wrote 10 years ago or a script she wrote 10 minutes before it went into production. Right. But there was something, there was something like not finished about it. Like, here's the um, thing. If you put Megan Fox from eight years ago as the lead in It Follows, she becomes an A-list mm, star. We just couldn't find the right part. And that's kind of what Are you were saying. Are they remaking that? Did I, did I hear that correctly? Is what? that being remade? What? It Follows. How do they remake? They just came out. How are you going to remake a movie that just came out? Oh my God! Are you kidding? I just feel like that. That is that. That seems like an inevitability. But you're probably right. I'm making that up. Did you see but Hush? I think Megan on Netflix. Oh, the Gwyneth Paltrow. That's oh, that's your that's no, your not genre. Gwyneth Paltrow. Not Gwyneth Paltrow. It's this. It's this movie about. Um, she's deaf. She's in a cabin. She's a writer, and this guy comes and kills her best friend and then decides to terrorize her and try to kill her for the whole movie. And it's just her in the cabin and what, and it's awesome. And the, the thing I've learned from movies, especially from Netflix over the last 15 years is don't go into a remote cabin to do work. Just don't <laughs> just make sure you have some connection to civilization. Because if you're in a remote cabin, guys with masks show up. That's just what happens. That's what I've learned. Yeah. This is why I'm writing this book at a desk near a like dingy canal. Yeah, good. Because you, is if anything happens, you can get out and you can at least find one person, right? No. Yeah, no, it's true. That's that's the hope. I, I mean, I, I don't. I, I feel like Megan Fox is just a, an interesting. I feel like there is a way in which misogyny and sexism like also have to like they conspire against some of these women in a lot of ways yeah and that is that's another that's a whole other thing that they can't even control right true like megan fox can speak out against it and then suffer um or you sort of put up with it like most women do and you know you hope for the best it's a really it's it's i think it gets talked about a lot but not enough and the degree to which it really does harm and hinder careers when you want to get past being looked at and to be appreciated for other things, you have to be convinced. You have to be so. You have to be twice. You have to be twice as convincing as Channing Tatum or you know Paul Walker, R.I.P. You have yeah. to. You have to. You. It's just your 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 obstacles to success are so much higher as a woman because the thing that's expected of you. Is so obvious and so limiting and so reductive, um, and and you know so timeless. This is like this is we've been ha- we could have been having this conversation seventy years ago. Except you know what, the parts would have been way better. Yeah. 
there would have been so much more for a Megan Fox or a Blake Lively. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, this is probably – this is me sort of being suppositional about this. I also think that, you know, 30 years ago with, those, with the actresses we have now, you would just see a lot more things with Kate Blanchett and, you know – uh, Julianne Moore and Jennifer. I mean, the same actresses who are dominating the movies now would still be dominating 30 years ago. I just think that the, the opportunities for a Blake Lively or a Megan Fox would have just been more interesting. Hey, we got to take a quick pause. We got to say hello to a couple of our good friends. I hate shaving. I never know what razors to use. I never know when to stop using one razor and move to a fresher one. In college, my roommates used to come into the bathroom to watch me shave. They would make fun of me. They would tease me. I'm just bad at shaving. A few months ago, we did an ad for harrys.com. They sent me some razors. It changed my life. I don't get shaving cuts anymore. I don't get shaving zits on my neck. I have a nice, clean, happy face. Thank you, Harry's. Harry's starter kit is called the Truman. It's just $15. includes a razor handle, three blades, and moisturizing shave cream. It's a superior shave for an incredible price. Even better. Anyone who listens to the BS Podcast gets $5 off their first purchase with my coupon code BS. That's an entire month of shaving for $10. Shipping is free. Stop ravaging your face. Stop overpaying for your shaves. Go to harrys.com. Use coupon code BS at checkout. You won't regret it. And since we're here, let's also talk about 5-4 Club. Where else can you get hooked up with new clothes for just $60 a month? New clothes. Stylish clothes. 5-4 Club has you covered. They'll provide styling advice and recommendations. They'll make you a styling profile. They'll deliver clothes to your door every month or so. Four style profiles. Classic, casual, forward, and mix. Uh, shorts and button-ups when you need them. Jackets and jeans when it gets colder, which it will in about four to five months. Free shipping, direct delivery to your doorstep. Clothes come every month or so. I may or may not be wearing a 5-4 Club shirt right now. It's only $60 a month. Go to 54club.com. Use promo code BS at sign up. You get 50% off your first package. F I V E F O U R C L U B.com. 54 Club promo code BS. I'm going to leave you with two things. Yeah. Number one, I watched Kramer versus Kramer again last night because it was again? on. Again? Because it was on. It's one of the best. It's my it's my movie. I was a child of divorce named Billy, and I, I, it resonates with me. I lived with my dad. It was just me and him. Um, no black people in the movie. Nope. Welcome to New York in the 1970s. Literally, it, it's a goose egg and for 80s. black people. It is amazing. They didn't even give the token, have the judge be black. Nothing. Just white people. It's amazing. <laughs> the movie won like all these Oscars. It's it and it's this white. It's basically white person's New York. Um, so yeah. I, no- I noticed that that jumped out of me. I thought that was that was uh, a goofy thing that made me not like the movie like ten percent as much. Second, my daughter's favorite actress. She has a favorite actress. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. Do you want to guess? I'll give you three guesses. Is this a is this an actress that was famous when you and I were kids? No. Is this person is this is a like a new you know new ish person? New ish, yeah, sure. Jennifer Lawrence. No, good guess though. It's uh, her favorite actress is Jennifer Garner. Ooh, ooh. yeah. How about that? <laughs> favorite actress. Shut up. Favorite actress. What other Jennifer Garner movies can I see? Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, wait, this is a question for me? No, no, this is what she asked us recently. Oh, boy. She, well, what movie was she watching that made her feel this way? 13 Going on 30 is her godfather. Oh, yeah. That's her now, guy. It's I her godfather see... one and two together. Oh, my God. It's She you loves know, it. That, that movie means so much to so many women, I can't even... I mean, I'm not saying it's their godfather or their godfather too or anything, but I, I can't... I can no longer defend against it because really my only defense, my only problem with it is that is that they dance to the wrong Michael Jackson song at the, in that party. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of women where that's just like a meaningful movie, and I, I, I don't like it, but I'm so open to what it means to other people that I stopped arguing against it. I can't even, I just give, I gave up on the, on the, on the thriller dance too. I just felt like they should have been dancing and want to be starting something, but that's a different, that's my movie. Well, you and know so, what? I, I think you'd probably need to write about this. I think it's important. This is, this is what we've learned <laughs> from this podcast is that we need a Wesley piece on, uh, why 13 going on 30 is one of the most important movies in the 21st century. Why, how this happened. It would, it certainly it wasn't intended to be uh, that way. <laughs> it would definitely save me the hassle of like having to think about what's actually going on in the world, which I can't stop thinking about right now. Yeah, that would. So, it's a good diversion. Yeah. Well, Jennifer Garner solution solution to the, the depressing state of the country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to talk about that with you because it makes me happy to talk with you, and I knew we'd all get sad. I'd rather do that if we yeah, were just no, at a bar and get I drunk. I won't try to be too sad. No, I, I, I'm not. But I will say. Yeah, go ahead. Say. Can I just thoughts. say I want yeah. to? I want to just. I, I want to just put this out there. And okay. I've had a number of conversations with people about um, what's been going on in the last like week or so and like what's been going on around the world in the last year or so and then like larger what we put you know the last two years and i just want to say that it's really important to me that when your black friends are talking to you about how they're feeling just listen don't try to tell them what is actually going on in the world because they kind of know you don't have to listen to like you know police are racist you know asshole scumbag pigs because that's not productive. But when your black friend is basically just saying, hey, look, man, I feel an immense amount of, amount of pressure that I've had my entire life being black, whether it's hailing a cab or getting pulled over by the cops or getting asked for my ID for no reason, just say, yeah, man, I am, I'm really sorry about that. I, I hear you. Don't try to say it's not that bad or you're not the guy the police want. That's not, what, that's not the case. Like, black people in general, I think, feel like they're all in this together and – most of us, a lot of us have white friends, and when we're talking about this shit, just just listen. That's all anybody wants. That's it. It's good advice. The one thing I, the one thing I think that's important that happened this summer is that I think there's a segment of this country that now at least is starting to understand when black people say, oh, when this shooting happens... I just want you to know that when I walk down the street, this is in the back of my head that this could randomly just be me someday. And I think that's what's mm -hmm. changed this year. I think it started the conversation, you know, the conversation has been going on forever, but in terms of a big picture standpoint, it seemed like it started weirdly when, when the Fruitvale station movie and that, and mm -hmm. it, that was like one of those things where I didn't even know that that happened. 
I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm buried in my work. I'm doing a million things. I didn't even know about that. And then I didn't know until right. he started doing publicity for the movie. And then it seemed like it 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 started. And then another one happens. Another one happens. And now in 2016, the way people are writing about this and the conversations we're having, I I, I just feel like the light bulb started to maybe flicker for certain yeah. demographics. Do you see that or no? Uh, I do. I think that like. I think the way we talk about this stuff has a lot to do with what we can see and not so much the way I can tell you how I'm feeling makes me feel, yeah. you know, like, or like, like how I'm, how the world is making me feel. I think there's also a lot of disaffection and, 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 and alienation, which is how you wind up with, I mean, we don't know what happened with that guy in Nice and that awful truck mauling, but I mean, it was the guy who acted alone and, you know, is an, you know, an Arab French citizen. And I feel like the Orlando shooter, same thing. Like there is a degree of alienation and, and aloneness and outsiderness or, or something that people feel. And, and I, I don't know, it's, it's much, it's much safer to me. I feel at this point to be together rather than apart. And I know this sounds uselessly, uh, optimistic, but it's really much better what I'm saying to you now than how I was feeling a week ago. I yeah. gotta be honest. And I, I do think that empathy is a huge thing. And I think people understanding what empathy is and being able to practice it is really important. And I'm not just saying for black people, I also think it's important to like listen to, to police when they talk about like the difficulties of their job, which I'm I'm aware of, I understand, you know, I feel like this isn't just a policing problem. This is like an American institutional racism problem that you can't just pin on the police. Um, And I just think the police are like immediate actors in these situations. And a lot of the way that we talk about this stuff is framed through law enforcement and perpetration. Um, I just, I, I feel like there's just, I don't, I don't like the term national conversation. I think it's one of the dumbest terms ever in the history of like talking to people i think it's much more useful to talk about empathy and policy and changing that sort of stuff i don't know why i'm talking about this it is just so on my mind and i've been so sad um like for a week i mean i cried at a meeting the other day i've never done that before in my life (laughs) and i just have been feeling like really i've been feeling really hope hopeless and, and kind of down and you know this convention is happening next week and I'm hoping that goes okay. Yeah. Um, but then I saw this movie a couple of weeks ago, and I just been thinking about that. This Moonlight movie, I have to say, like it is really good and made me so happy that just to see like a movie about two black men just figuring themselves out together. It is so beautiful, and you know, to have it be by another black man is really is really important, and you know, to, to I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm really saying. I'm just feeling both optimistic and kind of sad about stuff. But as a friend put it the other night, like all the stuff about Obama being this like earthquake and being really important for America to get to this next place by leveling all this previous stuff is a good idea. But like as with any earthquake on a, on a coast um, or like in the, in the ocean, there's a tsunami that comes. And I think what the Trump thing is, is, is a tsunami. And it's going to destroy a lot of things and level a lot of things and bring a lot of shit to the surface. But 
you know, hopefully it'll pass and the devastation won't be too bad and we can rebuild on top of that. Well said. Hang in there, buddy. <laughs> That's not even why you called me. <laughs> no, but I listen, I, I figured there was a chance we might talk about it, but you know, it's tough. These are tough times. It's, 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 what's the tenor of things out there? How do they feel? You know, it's not great. Like we, last week we had Mike in our office is from Baton Rouge, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and he eventually wrote a really good piece about it that took some time and we want to mm-hmm. give him the time and let him get his head to the right place where he could write what he wanted to say and it wasn't too raw and, you know, um, I think LA is, I don't know. LA is, is just so different than New York, New York. You're around mm-hmm. people all the time and yeah. it's so much easier to just go to bars and go to restaurants and you're just running into people and it's easier to have conversations than it is in LA. LA is, is spread out and you have to make an effort to be around people to some degree. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I think a lot of people just experience the stuff on the internet. You know, yeah, that's and they're reading good. stuff and you see last week, it was just this wave of, of people writing variations of the same piece and all of them were powerful. It was like, how many times can, how many times can a black person get murdered? How many right. times do we have to watch this? Is this going to be the rest of my life? And, you know, I think the, the totality of those pieces were really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think all of us, I don't, I don't care what color you are how old you are where you came from um there's a fear this summer that reminds me of what 19 reading about 1968 which was before i was born but just like that summer and the way people talk about it and the documentaries that have been made about it um and and how it just felt like the steering wheel was broken for the country it's starting to feel like that a little bit and that, i think that's the part that's scary yeah, I would just say that, you know, there are obviously some really important differences, right, though? Like, I mean, there hadn't been those assassinations. Like, there there had been no, there's no equivalent of the King assassination no. or the Kennedy assassination. No. Um, there's the, or Malcolm the, X. The energy around, you know, no riots in Newark, no riots in, or, uh, no riots in Camden, no riots in, 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 in Los Angeles. Um it's just it 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 it's similar, but I and there's no war. You know, there weren't like fifty thousand people dead at this point in 1968. Well, the, you know, in, in 2016. But the war is basically um, the war that's going on in the country with guns. And right. That, that's right. become and like that, its own version of the war, and also and it's only early thing. July. You know, I would we have also six say too months the, left the, of this crappy year. <laughs> the framing around the 68 thing is also because I think things have been so racialized for so long. And I think that like, it feels like things are coming to a particular head with the convention next week. And I think there's a lot of fear given what we've been talking about with open carry states and people, people agitating for something. And I don't know, I can't say which side, I mean, cause you read these stories and it's like, nobody's innocent in these, in these skirmishes outside these Trump rallies, it seems like. And so, I mean, there is, there is some, there's an, there's an energy that people, people want to come bring this to a head. And I, I'm, I'm really worried that Cleveland is going to be, it's going to become a place where people are looking for, for trouble. 
I am worried about that too. I'm not looking forward to next week. Yeah, I mean, neither am I, to be honest. And like, forget like the the potential for for violence. I mean, the 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 convention itself looks like it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It's hard. To, I don't know. What's weird is uh, Cleveland has always had this football team where every year they have terrible choices for quarterback and they had these training camp mm-hmm. battles between like Jake DeLome and Seneca Wallace and every, the Brown poor Browns fans look around and they go, Oh my God, these are our choices. And now America has become the Browns. Mm-hmm. And we just look around like, wow, these are, this is their choices. Jake DeLome and Seneca mm-hmm. Wallace. This is it. Yeah. Is there anybody else? It's like, no, this is it. And, uh, I don't know that, that is as sobering as just about anything else. All right. We have to go. Hang in there. Oh man! I know. Uh, people, be happy. Try to try to find some. I mean, I don't know. Somebody said that to me the other day, and I got mad. Don't listen to me. Feel feel how you feel. It'll it, you'll get over it. Come out to LA and let's talk about all this stuff over like seventeen alcoholic beverages, not on a podcast. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll do that. The ones below is the Netflix. Movie. The ones below is the Netflix movie, by the way. If you want to watch a baby snatching movie. I don't know. I think people should save that for Moonlight. And Krisha is available on On Demand, by the way. K-R-I-S-H-A. Really good movie. (laughs) Wesley Morris, thank you. Read him in the New York Times. I miss you. I'll talk to you soon. I miss you too. Bye, you guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much to Stamps.com, buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com right now. Use the promo code BS for a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone top of their homepage, type in BS. Stop going to the post office already. Thanks to 5-4 Club. They have you covered with styling advice and handpicked clothes delivered to your door every month. There's even free shipping. It's only $60 a month. Go to 54club.com. Use promo code BS at sign up. You get 50% off your first package. Uh, go to HBO Now, HBO Go, or HBO On Demand to watch the first four episodes of any given Wednesday, as well as over two hours of bonus clips for our first four episodes. Uh, and don't forget about the ringer.com. Don't forget about the Ringer Podcast Network, including the podcast Chris Ryan and I did for the Ringer NBA show, Summer Free Agency Wrap Up. And finally, we have Ringer swag t shirts, baseball shirts, hoodies. A good chunk of the proceeds go to our good friends at Charity Water. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you next week on the BS Podcast. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.